This podcast was recorded on March 3rd, 2023. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. I'm Gabriel Talley, the podcast producer for The Alabamian, and today I have an interview with Lauren Jacobs, the assistant director for the Magic City Acceptance Center. We talk about her work there before delving into ways to deal with uncertainty and anxiety throughout life. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, but yeah, I guess just to start, um, you can say your name and then kind of what you're working on right now and what you've been up to. Yeah. So my name is Lauren Jacobs. My pronouns are she, her. I am the assistant director of the Magic City Acceptance Center, an LGBTQ community center in Birmingham, Alabama. And what have I personally been up to? What have I work been up to? Personally, I've been doing a lot of crossword puzzles. I have been watching a lot of Drag Race and its assorted properties. I have been ugh, at the house. I like being at the house. Um, work-wise, been facilitating programs for LGBTQ youth across the state of Alabama. And so we do that both in person at our physical location in Birmingham, and we have online programs for youth on Discord, which has changed the game. So we're able to be a lot more available in terms of community building programs, direct resource sharing, all those good things for youth across the entire state. Oh, that's awesome. Um, actually, could you um, could you speak to that a little bit more in terms of um, just like that kind of like spike in usage for Discord and like more social media platform focused stuff? Yeah. So there were folks asking us to create a Discord long before we ever were able to actually sit down and do it. Um, we just never really had the capacity to do it. We're a really small staff. We just hired a third staff member last year at the end of last year. And so we just never were able to start it and moderate it in the ways that we wanted to until we had to because COVID, right? So like everybody was moving things online we immediately turned to Discord as that space to create community building programs. We had it up by like April 2020 pretty quickly and at first thought that it would just be a means to an end to keep having community for folks who were already in our programs and then realized really, really quickly that there were young people who were never going to be able to make it to our space in person, whether sure. that was because they lived too far away, they didn't have family acceptance to get here or um, they were just working, like for whatever reason that folks couldn't make it to us in person, it occurred that having that digital platform where we're still providing facilitated conversation would be really, really helpful. And so now we know that youth have joined it from 51 of Alabama's 67 counties. We do a really quick intake form because we want to like see where folks are coming from and, and have it be secure. It's not open 24 seven, our discord. It's only open when we're moderating. But by asking, like, what county are you in? Now we know, like, it's a huge reach, right? And I think that means a lot to people who expect Alabama to not have anything for LGBTQ youth. It's like, no, in fact, we do have a lot of things. And there are folks from all across the state, right? So that's been really fun. We do, like, movie nights there. We do game nights, Jackbox games, whatever folks are really interested in. That's awesome. Um, and kind of in that same vein, I mean, how... Was it for you personally just kind of, I mean, obviously that like wonderful adaptation to using Discord and then like maintaining that engagement. And um, ultimately, as you said, you know, it ends up being super beneficial for those who can't come into the center, for those who can't make it for any number 
of reasons. Um, but what was it like for you kind of navigating that experience and then also um, eventually, you know, getting to open back up the center and then like now everyone kind of comes in that kind of almost that kind of sense of normalcy is restored. Yeah, I think like in the beginning, it really was just like, what can we do? Right. Like that early crisis of COVID where, where everybody was just scared and panicked and freaking out. It was kind of nice that we were able to turn to this idea that had come directly from our youth, right? Like they had been asking us to create a Discord server and we were like, no, we're old. We don't know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was intimidating for a minute too, to like create this whole new thing. Um, But once we started doing it, it reminded me of like what I had been doing when I was a younger LGBTQ person and that I would come home from school where I wasn't out and I would immediately get online. And for me, it was like Tegan and Sarah fan forums. That's where I was going and, and building community and talking about queerness. But it was all like online. Right. So it it took me back to that space of like, oh, gosh, AIM and AOL days, really. Um, but much safer. And that what I would have loved. I hate to be like, oh, my gosh, I would have loved this when I was younger. But I really would have like I would have loved having a more local community. Because we realized, too, like if you're creating an online program, there are so many people creating online programs, right? Like you could have it be national. You could have it be international. There could be no parameters to it. But people really do still want that sense of local connection so they can say, here's this terrible thing going on in Alabama or here's this amazing thing that's going on in Alabama. And especially when we started talking about the anti-trans youth legislation, that space was like the one space that a lot of people told us they were getting their news like they weren't getting news about what was going on from anywhere else. And so that was vital at that, at that point to have that community. Kind of what discussions for you go on inside the acceptance center in terms of tackling that level of responsibility? Like when you recognize that, like what kind of is the first thing that jumps out to you or like what's the first thing that you guys decide to do? I mean, responsibility i mean that's a that's a huge and big and important word because we definitely don't take it lightly that we are in a position to foster and facilitate these spaces and so safety is really a huge thing that we consider like i said our discord our online program is only open when we're around to facilitate it and it could have been something where we left it 24/7 but we didn't want anybody to like be in a moment of crisis um, posting something where they wouldn't get an immediate response So that was something that we really considered. And then as much as possible, we want things to be youth led, which kind of sounds like a contradiction to what I just said. Right. We want (laughs) we want things to be youth led and then adult supported. So we love that, like in having that space, it is just so open. It can be so creative. We can do so much more on Discord that we wouldn't be able to do in person for that person who feels like super anxious talking about their identity out loud to be able to be on discord and type about it can be really, really helpful. Or for somebody who feels like shy about their appearance, or maybe they feel like they don't get to express their gender in public in ways that they want to, when we're online, you can present yourself how you want to be seen. And so I think we think a lot about how to make sure that that space feels authentic to people and that it still feels like we're building connections and building community when we're all dispersed elsewhere throughout the state. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I think that you, I think using the word formative is a really good 
term because I think, especially for me, when I um, like frequented the center and came more often, like it was really, really formative for me in terms of just like getting information and seeing people who were kind of like in the same frame of mind that I was in terms of my own identity and trying to like figure things out and like just gain more information about myself. Um, that I think it was, it was profoundly important, at least for me in terms of, um, like having access to those resources and being able to access them in a safe manner. Um, so I mean, I think you guys are, are absolutely wonderful. And, and just for me, from a personal perspective, I'm just, I'm really happy to be, be talking to you. So that means so much. And I already joked about crying at you and I will not do it, but it does make me like, I don't know. It may, it makes me very happy to hear that because that's, that's entirely what it's about, right? Like people having that sense of connection and seeing other folks like them and feeling less alone in Alabama, which can feel very, very lonely for folks who find themselves at different intersections like mm -hmm. we do. Yeah. I'm not going to cry at you. I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> if I do. I, I, will, have... I will not hold it against okay, you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I think the, and I mean, I, I think a lot of my um, conversational points today kind of hinged upon that um, in terms of now much later in life, like I kind of experienced this um, anxiety in terms of not really knowing how to move forward or how best to proceed um, from really it's uh, from an overwhelming kind of variety of standpoints. Right. And, um, I thought it would be really interesting just to get your perspective and your kind of take on how you kind of navigated or still do still navigate, um, like figuring out your own identity and figuring out like what most motivates you and what most kind of pushes you forward. It's a big conversation. Yeah. So I, um, you know, in, t in thinking about, in thinking about particularly like graduating college, figuring out what I wanted to do, who I was at the same time, like knowing I was a queer person, like I was thinking about this moment right before graduation, maybe like the week of graduation. I think it was like the week of, I went to the University of Alabama and I, got really heavily involved in LGBTQ student organizing when I was there to the point that I feel like I did that more than I did my like coursework, more than I spent time being in my program, which was a film program at UA. I had switched majors from being biology pre-med into film. My mother was very excited about that. Um, <laughs> and I loved our film program. It was outstanding. It's amazing. And some of the instructors that I had there have gone on to do amazing, amazing things. Great program. But I spent so much time doing LGBTQ organizing because it was what I wanted so desperately and what I wanted all throughout middle and high school. Like I knew I was queer in elementary school when I told my friends I had crushes on the Spice Girls and they said, ew. Um, and then I realized, oh, maybe we don't say that to people right now. Um, but so, yeah, I had, I had wanted those spaces and I got really involved in LGBTQ student organizing. And I tell people all the time, UA is where I found like my first queer community, which I think is surprising to a lot of people. Like I remember having friends who were like, you are a black queer woman. 
this is your time to leave when you graduate high school. You could go somewhere else. You don't have to stay in Alabama. Um, but it meant so much to have a community there that was really, really active and that was doing cool, radical events. And that was hosting like LGBTQ student um, conferences and, and gathering people from across the state. So I had been president and vice president and like social chair, something of that, like the entire four years I was there. Um my mom, to bring her up again, I remember her at one point saying that she was happy for me that I was doing activism, but she was like, you know, MLK got his degree before he did all that other stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> she was like, he was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and then, you know, did activism. Um, so that was kind of a joke in our family. Anyway. I did that a lot. Like I prioritized that in college. And so the particular night that I remember right before graduation, driving around in my car with my friend Noah being like, what am I going to do? Because I just want to keep doing this. Like, and by this, I meant organizing with people. I meant like being in Alabama and holding space for my LGBTQ peers. Like that had meant so, so much. And that was not something that I saw that had like, a career path attached to it, right? Or I knew I was passionate about it. I, despite having done a lot of work in college with folks, I didn't feel like connected to places where I could necessarily stay doing that. And so my panic in that moment when <laughs> driving around in my car was like, what am I going to do? Like, do I need to stay in film? If I'm staying in film, am I doing that in Alabama? Like, how do I make those connections or continue those connections from from college when I really just want to keep doing queer stuff? Like, that was what I wanted. And so that was really like the one thing that I held on to. Like, I just want to keep doing this. And so I graduated in 2013 from UA. And it just so happened when I was moving back to Birmingham BAO, which is our parent organization, had already been having conversations about creating an LGBTQ youth center, wanting people to be involved. I feel like, and I've said this before, I just got really lucky with the timing, which is wild because I would have loved a space like this, right? Like I, and I'm not just saying like, oh, I would have loved it in my imagination. Like I was looking for LGBTQ youth spaces in Birmingham when I was in high school. And there was a group called Bagsley, but at the time that I reached out to them, they weren't super active. And so it felt like, okay, if the one thing's not super active, then that's it. It's done. It's gone. <laughs> There's not really anything else going on. And I wasn't, you know, out to anybody at the time other than like a small group of friends. So it didn't feel like I could start something. So to be graduating, panic, wailing to my friend in my car, like, I just want to keep doing queer things and I want to do it here, to moving home to Birmingham, sleeping on the couch at my mom's apartment, not really knowing what I was going to do, getting connected to different things, and then all of a sudden getting connected to this space felt incredibly lucky. And maybe I need to give myself more credit. I'm going to give myself more credit because I think that's encouraging. <laughs> the timing was amazing. And also I had done a lot of work to get to that point, right? To, to get to the point where I Absolutely. knew that's what I wanted. I had connected with people around it. And so it was both things. 
Well, I think what you you really point out something interesting and interesting in terms of like it's both the timing plus the work, mm-hmm. right? That on, on one hand, of course, an opportunity coming up like that is really wonderful and really amazing, but also like it completely fits with you and the skill sets you had already you had already built um, and everything. Um, but I guess another kind of question like dovetailing off of that i mean how does that kind of reflect on you now because i think like um i mean it's it's easy to see i think you're incredibly right to give yourself more credit and give yourself more um praise and and kind of you know love to yourself um because i think like seeing yourself now how do you kind of see like okay like I did, I did the correct thing. Like, obviously like now it results in where I am and everything today. Yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's really hard to do that sometimes, right? Like it's not my inclination to always do that. Like, I think when I've thought of that story or when I've thought about how I've gotten, how I got this job in particular for the longest time, I've just said like, Oh, I got really lucky with the timing. And it actually kind of like took work to come back and be like, no, like you were, (laughs) you were on this path before you even realized the path was like possible. I don't know if that sounds fake deep, but it's, it's true. Like there were, I did not know the center was being conceived of. Like I didn't know I wasn't connected to the people at the time that I knew that where I knew what I wanted to do. I did not know that there was work and a career that could be in alignment with it. Right. Um, I just knew what I wanted to do. Um, but it, yeah, it is, it is kind of hard to Or it's challenging to go back and retroactively really like give yourself the credit that you deserve. And I think I did feel so much anxiety about what was next. I still feel a lot of that anxiety, like even in our work at the center, like figuring out what directions we should be moving in. um, There's a lot of like reasonable anxiety there, right? It's just, I think been really grounding to me to kind of go back and have that time to think about where I was so clear in what I wanted. And that helps me not feel as anxious about what it looks like. Right. Like I knew that I wanted to be connected to community. I didn't know exactly what that looked like. And so now whatever form that takes, I can kind of ground myself in like, you're doing what you wanted. Um, obviously like uh, I work, within a nonprofit. And I know there's a lot of ways of thinking about, you know, if you make your passion, your career, what does that path look like versus like having a career and then pursuing your passions outside of it? You know, will you get burnt out on something that you're really passionate about just because you've chosen to make it your work? And especially when your work is so closely aligned to who you are, like LGBTQ liberation, Like I need that as a human being to exist. Right. And so having made it a part of my work and ultimately like my paycheck is a whole bucket to kind of like untangle. Um, But I think ultimately, yeah, I'm just really grateful for that moment of panic where I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know this one feeling. Right. Because I can come back to that. I don't know if that's helpful, really. No, I think I think it very much is, especially because I think that it's it's interesting now. Um, I mean, 
kind of recontextualizing or, or like now you kind of have the the ability or like the power to kind of like reformat that moment and be like, I'm thankful for this. Like, I'm thankful I had this moment of like profound or like serious indecision <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> where it's like, you, you know, teetering on the edge actually like ends up making you so much stronger and so much more asserted and like, this is what I want to do this. I did the correct thing. It made me feel better about decisions I was making when I didn't know if I was making the right decision. At least that, right? Like, I could be like, well, at one point you wanted this and it's okay if that changes. <laughs> but like, this was the one thing you knew you wanted. But what are some kind of like things that um, may not necessarily be like kind of the focal point for you, but kind of like orbit your life that are also kind of like fulfilling for you or like things that you seek out just like in your free time when you're just kind of like hanging out at the house? Yeah, I was thinking about like, not something that I have been doing, but that I want to do. I'm like, I got to do more stuff with my hands. You ever just feel that? You're like, I need to go like, I need to know how to chop down a tree and like make a table. <laughs> <laughs> so I have goals and aspirations of doing just more physical stuff. Cause I think I've gotten like, so in my head about a lot of the things that I'm doing that I'm like, I would really like to, I don't know, crochet something right like mm -hmm. so i'm trying to to kind of like bring those things in a bit more because i think they would bring me some joy um because yeah it, it it is really easy to get kind of in your head and like get burnt out and weighed down by that kind of stuff um but so yeah i want to do more stuff with my hands if you see me next time and i have like built something please be proud of me if i'm like a full like nick offerman style like <laughs> welcome to my wood shop um yeah i mean i know like everybody i shouldn't paint with that broadest stroke but it feels like most people are still kind of feeling the effects of being so isolated from the pandemic right and like figuring out who am i now that the world is more open and like what do i want to do and something that's been interesting for me in like getting older and like having you know, friends move away or, or relationships to friends change is realizing like, oh, I really have to actually initiate the things that I want. Like I, if I want something to happen, can't be passive about it and just like stumble onto cool things, right? Like realizing like I have to get in the car and go to a place where maybe something exciting will happen. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if that sounds really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really yeah it's just like remembering like oh i have to like make myself available to those things i i think i i mean to me that raises that raises a really interesting point and really a clear kind of through line from the beginning of what we kind of started talking about to just that where it, like you kind of recognize at these different stages of your life like oh it really it really does just come from me it's the things I want. It's those decisions that keep that like kind of move the things that I love in life or the things that like you kind of say, give me joy. Yeah. It moves those things along. And it's interesting that at each point you kind of have these moments of, I mean, oddly they're both in cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these moments where you realize like, Oh, like, you know, I can't just like you're saying, you can't just kind of always stumble into them or have them kind of like waft over to you. Yeah. Um, or even if they do like kind of waft into your atmosphere, like you, you still are making the choice to pursue them. Right. Like that goes back to like giving yourself more credit. And I think too, it's okay if the thing that you know you want is broad and vague. 
because I think I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety of like, I need to know the specific moves that I'm making next. And like, to some extent, that was like true, right? Like I needed to know how I was spending my time, but it was okay to let that want be like really big, like a really big net. (laughs) Having that big of a net meant that like I could catch all kinds of things in it, right? Like I could figure out how I was going to spend time in ways that I wanted that didn't have to be, you need to go do this fellowship or this internship or like this exact thing, right? Like it could be much more simple. And now as I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, I, I would like to (laughs) kind of use some of that spirit now for like figuring out next things too. Like, I think it's definitely okay to be kind of broad. I don't know. Cause like, you're right. Like, like it is so much easier to kind of look back now and be like, okay, that's what I was doing. But will I look back on this time in my life the same way, like 10 years from from now? I don't know. I think hmm, everybody's doing their best, Gabriel. (laughs) Everybody's doing their best. That person that drove by with their loud car, they were doing their best. We were doing our best. I like there are so many like little platitudes like that that I think people say that are really, really hard to internalize, especially uh, don't let me rant about this, but like especially when we receive them on social media in certain ways, like I'm not knocking them. I'm not knocking them at all. There is value in reminding people that it's okay to not be okay and that everybody's just doing their best. But when you're in like a harder place, it's so hard to like internalize that. Like I know a lot of people who are like, I can apply that to the other people in my life. I can give them the advising that it's okay to not be okay. I can give them the advising that it's okay that they don't know what they're doing. But then when it comes to myself, like, I'm like, no, you must know, like, what are you doing? And I think, I don't know. I think um, it can be hard to like put those things into practice, right? Like, what is it? It's not okay to be okay. Look like when you're expected to show up to class or when you're expected to go to work or you have something due and you're like, it's okay to not be okay, but I have this due date. (laughs) Like, how do I put those two things together? I'm hopeful that we're heading towards a direction like culturally where we're making some cultural shifts that allow people to really and truly not be okay if they're not okay. But to me, it's like so much less an individual thing. I'm saying to me, like I'm the only person that's ever had this thought. I'm not the only person that's ever had this thought. Right. Um, But I understand what you mean in terms of saying that, of course, uh, and what you bring up where it's kind of different on social media. Of course, you know, you want to offer the, um, like you said, the platitudes to people of, you know, like it's okay. You kind of have to remind yourself to be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes a completely different animal when you're asking that of yourself mm-hmm. and trying to internalize or actualize that behavior and actually, you know, take more time out for yourself, be more restoratively focused for your own mm-hmm. actions and stuff. Um, I, I find, at least for me personally, I find that stuff to be exponentially more difficult than it is to, to tell, to, to offer someone like, Hey, do you need a hug? Mm -hmm. Is everything okay? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, this is going to sound terrible. I don't love when other people are in crisis. I don't mean it that way, but I kind of love when other people are in crisis. Cause I'm like, Oh, like you're feeling this thing too. Like I, it sounds so basic. It all sounds so basic to say, but like, those reminders of like actually seeing somebody like not be okay and then still they're out here, they're doing their best. Like I'm so grateful when people open up that way or show that. 
and show how they're like still moving through the world, right? Like not everything is falling apart. Or maybe it is, but like not everything. You know what I mean? I don't know. 90% of the 90% things, are, of things are falling apart. They may not be like okay in a lot of sectors that they want to be okay in. Um, but honestly, just like that vulnerability is so huge. And so, yeah, I really appreciate when people are in crisis and share it with me. I do. I do think that really is a kind of a, a beautiful lasting point to end on um, in terms of just that. I think relative to myself, it's taken a really long time to learn how to express or um, get across that vulnerability and not expect as much back and not, and learn to kind of like give and not necessarily like wait to receive something. Um, I guess, and I guess my final question on that kind of perspective would be kind of how has that kind of expression of vulnerability gone for you? Um, I think, I think you said something really wonderful when you say, you know, it's actually comforting for me when I see other people um, who are in crisis and struggling, you know, and showing that they're not okay, openly showing that and sharing it with other people. Um, how has that kind of pathway opened up for you or how do you kind of express that when you'd feel vulnerable and are kind of looking for outlets and things like that to, to express it? Yeah, I think I, so I'm a cancer son. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel a lot of feelings, but I feel like, I don't know. It's it, recently I realized as much as I think I'm like showing my feelings and like wearing my heart on my sleeve, like I, like everybody probably have like a lot more that's unsaid. Right. And when I'm having a hard time or struggling with anxiety or not knowing what to do next, or like not knowing how exactly I want to achieve something and unsure of how to ask for help, if I can be really vulnerable, sometimes for me, I don't show that until it's gotten to the point of like the 11th hour, right? Like, like it's like, okay, we are like actually in crisis to get this thing done or um, like I really, really need help at it, right? So I think, unfortunately, I've had to get really comfortable with letting people see me in that 11th hour crisis so now I'm trying to like work on maybe I can bring it back a little bit, right? Like maybe I can let people in a little bit sooner before it's like about to blow up, whatever the thing is, right? Um, but that's a huge challenge for me. I'm not going to sit up here and purport to like have that handled at all. Um, nope, I have nothing for that one in terms of advising. <laughs> I think I'm still very much on like a journey to figure out what that looks like. Um but at least I know that it's a goal, right? Like, I don't know. Again, giving myself more credit for what I want to do. I know that I want to do this. And so I can like set some stuff in motion to make it happen and be gentle or try to. <laughs> as much as we can try to. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Other than that, um, I could wrap it up in so many more words. But um, Lauren, thank you for sharing a part of yourself with me today and, and giving me some of your time. I, I, appreciate it appreciate it appreciate it over and over i appreciate you so much like thank you for asking these questions thank you for giving me something that i'm gonna like go spend a week now thinking about in a helpful way <laughs> i think it i think it'll mean a lot to a lot of people that you're asking these questions thank you i appreciate it but yeah i hope you have a wonderful day thanks you too
thank you for listening to Falcons on Air and a giant thank you again to Lauren for today's interview. Please check out the podcast description for links to our website. And if you're interested in helping the newspaper or the podcast, please reach out to us on our socials at umalabamian or email us at alabamian.montevallo.edu. Add us on Spotify or your choice of podcast platform to listen to previous or future episodes and stay tuned into our socials for further podcast updates. Thanks so much.